<laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You tuned into the Spotlight Wednesdays with your man DJ Lalo, my man Lex Lewis sitting right there. What up, Lou? What's going on? What's going on, everybody? Definitely, definitely, man. This is Spotlight Wednesdays where we trying to try to shine a spotlight on a deserving person within a community that's helping out their community or making a big difference within their community. Um, as we wait for Trey Koo to come in, we are going to introduce our guest. This is Hafiza Ture. Yes. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderfully well. Thank you all for having me. That's good. That's good. Um, for the people who don't know who Hafiza Ture is, give them an idea of the person you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I wear many hats. Um, but one of my most uh, appreciated roles is mother. I'm a mother of three amazing beings. Um, and, and they're definitely my motivation around all of the other hats that I wear. So I'm also an entrepreneur. Um, as we will get into it, um, I got a lot of things going on around. Always been in, in accounting and finance and still have some clients in that aspect. But my passion project is Labors of Love podcast, which I'm sure we'll be getting into um, and really around community building. Um, I've done different ventures around wealth building and financial education, definitely wanting to bring that knowledge back to us so that we can take advantage of it and utilize all the opportunities that are currently out right now. So, um, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, for the people who don't know, me and Hafiza go way back to college years. We, grew, we basically grew up our whole college together. Um, and we were just sitting here discussing. She started out in accounting and finance mm -hmm. and somehow graduated into the broadcasting industry. I want you to explain that to them. I, oh, I, yeah, I, before, before, before she gets started, where, where did y'all go to school at? Norfolk State University, of course. <laughs> I wish you were alone here. We was on here so we could just push it in his face. But, you know. Yeah, hey, I, I mean, we had. I, I just always wanted to have to hear, so I'm like, might as well get it out the way right now. Yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out to our beautiful Spartans out there, man, making a difference. Indeed, behold the green and gold. So yes, but um, so yeah, I've always been in um, I went, I was in the school of business. So even while I was in college, I was working at the local radio station, right? This um, station down in Norfolk, family-owned business. And that's what kind of gave me the awareness of this industry. So every industry requires a finance department, right? You got to have somebody doing the books and somebody keeping things running from that perspective. So for me, accounting isn't something that is, it's definitely not a glamorous occupation. Um, it can somewhat be mundane with the day-to-day -day stuff, but I knew that it was something that I could always find an opportunity in. And it was that introduction to the broadcast industry that was like, okay, this is fun because you see all of the aspects of it. You see the program side of it, you see the promotion side of it, and then you see the, the corporate side of it. So um, just being able to do that. So the station down in, in Norfolk was, you know, um, like rock and uh, alternative kind of music. Um, I still got a feel for it, the back. Hold on, hold on. When we was there, it was jazz because I won my first trophy. I, no, no, I, no, not at Norfolk State. It wasn't no. Norfolk State Station. It was Sinclair Communications. So their headquarters was like downtown Waterside Drive. And they oh. own like 12 different radio stations, but it was a family-owned company. And there mm. was all or, alternatives. So like the tickets that were available, 
I, I didn't tell y'all about them because y'all didn't want to go to those shows. So, right. yeah. But once I graduated and uh, got that position at Radio One, that's when it was like a whole game changer. Because you're talking about they own radio stations in all of the markets. And they basically were running the hottest stations in those markets. So you got to, you know, I got to see kind of how they book people. People would come through, um, you know, because they were in D.C. for various shows. Um, we would get tickets to the shows, the after parties. So these are the perks of working at the corporate headquarters. So in doing so, also being able to be on the program side of that. One of my accounts was um, the Exxon station that was partnered with uh, Radio One back in early 2000. So this was before the merger, before it came XM, like Sirius XM radio. This was when they were like just getting off the ground. So I got to have conversations on a monthly basis with the program director to kind of see how it's growing, what was going on, what was needed, who's coming through, what promotions they had going on. So it was that understanding um, and that exposure that really gave me a love for broadcast. I got to be in the studio and see like, you know, the equipment and all that. I didn't know how to run anything, but it's just, again, the exposure to it. So I think that definitely played a role and shaped um, kind of what has happened for me in the future and understanding just the power that we have now that this opportunity has opened up. Like, just what you all are doing here with being able to reach an audience, being able to create your own programming, um, being able to bring people up like these independent artists and keep, you know, things going to keep things fresh. Like that is access. And there's, there's a lot of power and responsibility that comes with that. So just having that appreciation for how things um, work. For sure. Uh, NSU in the building. Uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to just scream that out real quick. <laughs> and then she was looking at his face. <laughs> yes, man. Uh, once again, man, of our Norfolk State alumni is here, man. Go Spartans. <laughs> the whole, the green and gold. <laughs> but to continue on, to continue on. You so, know what? I'm going to have to go visit this place. Ahead, and it better ahead. be the best place in the world. Or oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm going to be disappointed because, like, let, let me give you a clip. It, it was like an advanced book, though. Oh, see, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, they, they, you don't know. They, they know what I'm talking about. But yeah, don't get me. No, the school we went to was predominantly black. You know what I mean? Uh, the high mm -hmm. school we went to. Okay. School, yeah, tell them it was it was a party. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, definitely, okay. definitely. yeah. Uh, uh, you got to unmute your mic, uh, cool. Oh yeah, no, I don't like have it on unless I'm about to say something. Oh, okay, okay. We'll turn it back off. Um, <laughs> you went from I was gonna say, well, go ahead with the Labors of Love podcast. Mm -hmm. what, what is that based on? Is that based upon finance, or do you cover a lot of different topics on that? So, the Labors of Love podcast was born out of the need for different conversations that were being had around um, labor and delivery, um, especially with Black women. So um, I came up with the concept back in 2016. It was like a real transitional time for me. And it was an opportunity when podcasts were like really beginning to pick up. Um, there still weren't as many as there are right now, but the opportunity was there. There were platforms that would allow you to do it without a whole lot of expertise 
although it was still somewhat challenging from an editing perspective. So that was when the idea um, came into existence. I was I relocated to Connecticut. I had connected with a group of um, just like amazing doulas, um, Earth's Natural Touch from my Sayana Devotion. And we began doing work and having conversations. Um, New Haven is the home of Yale University. So we were able to tap into their midwifery program, um, their school of midwifery and their um, obstetrics program. And we got to speak to students who were um, in those fields. And it was from a perspective of addressing maternal morbidity. So the statistics then and now haven't changed. The needle hasn't been moved. It was when Black women were are four times more likely to die in childbirth than uh, our counterparts, our white counterparts. And the studies and the statistics and all of the research show that it didn't matter if you were highly educated. It didn't matter if you, you know, had attained a so certain social economic status. You could be wealthy. Um, when we think of Serena Williams or Beyonce and, and their birth stories, so there, there, the things that you would think would be the reasons for this were not. And what they determined was the cause was implicit bias, and that's just a dressed-up way to say racism. It's when you go into the hospital and you're dealing with, you know, these white doctors and these white nurses and they see you that the treatment is different. And there's things that can be done in a way um, that would prevent a lot of um, the reasons for these statistics. And it's, it's just these ideas in their head like you, you can handle more pain or if you're complaining, you know, you're just being dramatic, those sorts of things where you really might be bleeding out. And that is what has happened with some women. So it's been a topic of conversation. It continues to be a topic of conversation. But being in those spaces and having these conversations and we're talking about the statistics, I would look around the room and I would see, you know, these younger women who haven't had children. Um, and there would not necessarily be a lot of black women in the room, but looking at their faces, you know, they're horrified. Because we're talking about something that it seems that you have no control over. They haven't had children before. So, of course, this is going to be a subject matter that is not going to feel empowering. So, for me, my birth story was very different. I had very unconditional births. Um, all three of my children were born outside of a hospital. Um, one was born in the, my first was born in the birth center and my two sons were born at home. And this is in, you know, I started having children back in the early 2000s. My daughter was born in 2005. So this wasn't a common conversation. And most women couldn't relate to the idea of having homebirth. But statistically, it showed that in those situations, we fared better from a, a positive outcome perspective. So that was the motivation for me to begin to share my story, because a lot of the reasons we make the choices and decisions that we do is because we don't know the options. So the podcast was born out of the idea that if we have the information on board, we can make empowering decisions for ourselves and our families and impact the outcome and not necessarily follow the status quo and leave it in the hands of the doctors as far as whether we are having um desirable birth outcomes. So that's where Labors of Love has come from. It's definitely grown out from that. Um, we have expanded our conversations. Initially, it was about positive birth stories. Now we're, um, in addition to positive birth stories, we're also speaking to um, Black birth working professionals, whether it's a midwife, doula, lactation consultant, 
or someone who has some business that supports Black mothers and families. And um, we also started a Black Father series where we're speaking to the dads because a lot of times in these conversations, we're not including that perspective. But this is a family, you know, this this experience impacts everyone involved. So um, shout out to DJ Lalo for being a part of the Father Series and speaking to, um, you know, the perspective and the impact of, of the father in these situations. Um, so that's uh, where Labors of Love is today. And that's the conversation. That's dope. That's dope. Um, so you never had a hospital birth, correct? No. Okay. What was some of your uh, reasons for that leading up to up to your children having birth? I know that where you at stand with it right now, but right. what were some of those decisions that made you want to be, uh, try the doula way or uh, you know the birth center way? Absolutely. That's a really good question. So like most people that I talked to, leading up to you know finding out we were pregnant. Um, my my ex-husband and I, I didn't have any, I didn't know of any options. You know, I grew up on the Cosby show and things like that. You know, my mother had all of her children in hospital. She's a registered nurse. So the idea of, you know, a hospital wasn't a foreign concept. Um, and it wasn't until we started going to like the OB and my OB was, you know, it was this white practice out in the suburbs and it was okay until I found out I was pregnant, like to just see them once a year. But when this happened, it was like, ooh, I didn't feel any kind of connection. I felt like they were treating me like a, a number, basically. It was like, okay, come in, you get X, Y, and Z tests, and you like keep it moving. It wasn't a conversation. Nobody cared about like really how I was feeling and what was going on. Um, so it was like, I don't like how this feels. Um, because my ex-husband has, a, we have a son from a, a previous relationship, uh, he had been through this before. So he was like, well, maybe you want to consider a doula. He's very, you know, Pan-African, a very uh, conscious individual. So his whole thing was like he had no desire to have our children born um, being surrounded by white people, basically. So that idea was put out there. And I met this woman at one of these uh, Whole Foods kind of stores. And she was a friend. And she put me onto this book. It was called Silent Knife. Now, back then, it was like 2004. So the things that are commonplace in, you know, being able to find birth centers and things like that was not the case. There was no directory, you know, barely even websites like that. So it wasn't something that was accessible. But I read this book and the book was talking about how C-sections were you, they were supposed to be used for emergencies. You know, if something was going on, then, you know, a C-section would be done in order to save baby and mother. But how the trend had become, C-sections became easier for the obstetricians. So they're trained surgeons. This is what they do. They do. They're not midwives. Midwives are more so trained to understand how the woman's body naturally works and kind of works with it in order to give birth. If we look at birth from an indigenous standpoint, it's not an it's not a medical emergency. It's a natural process that our bodies are built and capable to execute without issue. As long as we're taking care of ourselves, you know, we're healthy, we don't have any pre-existing conditions and things of that nature, it is very much a healthy process, um, a natural process. 
So this movement into C-sections, it was really based off of how it was a surgical procedure that the OBs um, could conveniently schedule and, you know, get in, kind of get out and, and, and go on about their day. But from a health standpoint, this is major surgery that you're putting women through unnecessarily. So the book kind of, you know, documented that it talked about when you're looking for a hospital to use, you know, check their cesarean percentages, because that will let you know if they're using them for emergencies or if this is something that they're going to heavily push upon you. And it also talked about what is called um, this intervention cycle and interventions are the things that they put in place from a Western medical standpoint to push along pregnancies when the body is able to do it on its own. So it's like like um, when they talk about induction or they say that, you know, your baby's past term, it's late, you know, um, because it's past due, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Well, the due date is an estimate. It's not concrete. They have no idea what the due date is. Your body does, and it will do what it needs to do at that time, but it's fear-based. So when you're in such a vulnerable state of bringing a life into the world, the last thing you want to do is put your the woman or the baby in danger. So when you hear these things, you know, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, what do I need to do? Just whatever I need to do to make sure they're good, I'll do it. But they don't tell you the full story. And because we don't know ourselves going into it, we're relying on medical professionals to have our best interests at heart and give us the information that we need. So that's where the, the intervention cycle comes in. So they induce you, which causes contractions that are far more excruciating than they would be if they allowed it naturally and you allowed your body to be relaxed in a stress-free environment. So once that happens, then, you know, this is something that you can't tolerate because the body's not designed for that. So then you do want an epidural or some kind of pain medication. Once you do the pain medication, if your body doesn't continue to actively go into labor, then they say, you know, you're taking too long. And then a lot of the times when you get into the cycle, ultimately you end up with a C-section. And for some people, that's okay. It might be something that they were planning for anyway. And, and to me, it's not about what's right or wrong. It really is about understanding everything and having your options clear going into it and making the best choice and decision for you and not just being pushed through a cycle um, that you end up with major surgery. And unfortunately, as we're seeing in the statistics, a lot of women aren't coming out of this hole. Um, whether it's a traumatic birth experience or the loss of life, mother or baby, you know, our statistics are much higher than even other groups of color um, and, and especially of white women. And this is in the Western world. This isn't across the globe. So a lot of the places that they're still doing traditional births, this is not happening. So there's a direct connection between how we're birthing here and who we're birthing with. There was sure. two terms that you used that uh, a lot of people might not know what they are, the midwife and the doula. Can you explain what those are and the difference in what those, the, the, between the two of them? Yes. So I'll start with the midwife because the midwife is something that I'm sure is probably more known than um, uh, a doula. So the midwife is a medical professional. Um, typically, they have a nursing degree. 
uh, and they're licensed to work in hospitals as well as to perform home births. So they've gone through all of the requirements. Um, you know, they've gone to nursing school, they've taken all of the exams, and their focus is on bringing the baby into the world. They want to make sure your vitals are where they need to be, <clears throat> that your body's doing everything that it needs to do to prepare to push and bring the baby out into the world. Once the baby comes out, you know, they're checking the baby, they're making sure that everything is in order. The doula is, they're certification programs, but they're not necessarily a medical professional. The doula is the person whose primary focus is the mother. It's the mother's comfort. It's the mother, she's the advocate or he's the advocate for the mother. Um, their primary focus is making sure that the mother is comfortable and provided for in this process. She may assist the midwife uh, as a birth assistant, um, but they're hired and their focus is to make sure the mother's educated and informed about you know, what the process is. You know, She knows her wishes beforehand. So whatever um, is happening in the space, because when you're in labor, that is not a, a time to be making decisions. Um, you know, you want to focus on what's going on. It's almost not even humanly possible to like, you know, process a lot of things when you are in this experience. So you have somebody to advocate for you to make sure that, you know, if you don't want something in the room, if you have your birth plan, um, you know, what interventions you're okay with, you know, do you want music playing? Do you want the lights on? Do you want people in and out? Do you want to be checked regularly? Because that is an option that you might have. Cut you off. Is that a regular that people make up birth plans? Is that a regular? It is not. And that's the thing that um, I think it's one of those tools and checklist items that are important and add value to what you have going on board when you go into the situation. Because in the hospital, you have a lot less control than a home birth. So you can have the ideas, you can pretty much be sure that they're going to execute things as you like it in a home birth environment because you control that. But in a hospital, especially a birth plan is something that you should have in place because you have to deal with other people. You got to deal with the nursing staff and everything like that. And while you're in that situation, you don't want somebody to ask you something um, or have you make a decision about something again when you're in that vulnerable state. So the preparation is one of the primary things that you can do to ensure that you're going to have favorable outcomes. So it, it's getting the information, it's taking the childbirth classes, it's learning about breastfeeding and the benefits of breastfeeding. Um, the beautiful thing now is that there have, there's more legislation being passed to make doula services affordable, because that's also one of the um, concerns and one of the barriers is that these women or these doulas they need to be compensated. They're doing something significant. They're typically when you hire a doula, it's early on in the pregnancy and they're basically following you all the way through, through postpartum when you need somebody to, you know, take the baby so the mother can have a nap or to make sure that the meals are prepared so that, you know, they just need to be warmed up and the other children in the family have food to eat, that the parents can focus on the newborn and not so much you know, have to put the energy out to make sure that everybody's good. Because again, this is vulnerable and transformational for everyone involved. So yes, a birth plan, a birth plan is um, significant and a significant tool going in to make sure that your wishes are met. Uh, the doula and also the uh, midwife, are these two 
uh, people that you actually use personally or? Yes. So in all of my births, I, I had um, a midwife, the same midwife, um, because they do become family. They've seen you in your most vulnerable state, seen every parts of you. So it's important that the people that you have as a part of, or it was important for me that the people that I had as a part of the process really did feel like family. So both my um, doula, who was my doula slash birth assistant, who assisted my midwife in all three, well, in two of my births, she wasn't with me on my first birth, but in two of my births is definitely, um, I consider them both family. Yeah. What is, uh, uh, what is your purpose? Uh, hold on, give me one moment. What is the perfect setting for you? Uh, you know, with your birth plan, what is? You don't want nobody in. You want a blue light. How do, you, how do you? How do you? <laughs> well, I mean, and again, to each his own. But for me, it was definitely um, being home <clears throat> was uh, the perfect setting for me. So my birth took place in our bedroom, um, and it was I, the energy that I wanted in this space. I didn't want anybody who was worried or concerned. Um, or had any energy about, you know, oh my gosh, you're having it at home. Are we, is the baby going to be okay? Are we going to need to go to the hospital? I didn't want anybody that wasn't like a hundred percent on board in the space. So it really ended up just being, um, my then husband, uh, the midwife, the birth assistant and me. So we didn't have any extra. The first birth we did, it was at the birth center. So my mother-in-law, my sister, they recorded it and all of that, um, which wasn't a bad experience, but for me, um, and that birth was really easy, but for the my sons, because they were so large, I had, and that's the other thing, they give the misconception that if you're having large babies, that automatically you're going to need a C-section. I'm not a large woman. I don't have a large frame, but my sons were both over nine pounds. So my oldest was nine pounds, five ounces. My youngest was 10 pounds. And I was able to safely and without injury, give birth to them at home, where if I was seeing an OB, then they probably would have recommended because I was so large that I have a hospital birth or a C-section because of their size. So those are just some of the things that are different when you surround, when you're informed, first of all, and empowered to know that you have the ability to do what you need to do. Um, and you just create the environment for yourself. So I was confident. It wasn't, I had no doubts. Um, Everyone can't say that. I would definitely say you got to make the best choice for yourself, wherever you're most comfortable, wherever you feel safe, wherever you can relax. That's the environment that you have to create. And for some people, that's in a hospital. For some people, it's a birth center. And some people, it's at home. See, and that was that was kind of down the lane I was leaning. Because my first thought when, I, when, when he spoke of doula, I'm thinking they done took you out to a river through some leaves around you, you know? <laughs> You know, a bathtub birth. Or, what is the experience or, or like um, in a in a doula birthing experience? What what type what type of experience is that? Uh, well, you wouldn't know because you never got a natural birth. So I can't really ask you that either. No, no, no. Um, I birth for natural births. Um, OK, so you, I mean, you never did one in the hospital. I was going to say what's the difference. But um, I can't speak from personal difference, but I think from just. Um, I've, I've interviewed like this is this is my passion. Right? right. And it's really about talking to women about their birth stories, talking to families about their birth stories and their birth experiences. And there's I, the, the conclusion that I've come to is like there's no right or wrong way to birth. Right. Like I know people who have had amazing stories to tell about their hospital birth experience. 
that they loved it, that they loved their birth team, that they were well taken care of, you know, that they did X, Y, and Z, the people that came into the room, they were personable, you know, everything happened the way that they desired. And it was an amazing outcome. So there's no, to me, there's no right or wrong way to do it. My goal and objective is to make sure that the information is on board so that you can make whatever choice and decision is best for you. So even in talking to you, like this is a group of men and I love having this conversation with men because if as women, we haven't been exposed to this until we're pregnant, I know men are not privy to these conversations in most situations either. So there's certain things that as a community, and that's why this is a community concern because this is the foundation of community. Relationship, you know, intimate partnership, like this is the base, this is how we relate. So how you bring a child into the world directly impacts, you know, the future generations and what it is that we're building here. So to have certain things on board as a community collectively, we can make decisions that are going to be favorable for us. So that I'm not trying to convince my mate that this is the way that I want to go or this is what's comfortable for me, that we both have enough information that we can have a legitimate conversation about, you know, what's going to be best. What is it that we desire? What does that look like? And no one is coming from a place of fear or, you know, for men, it seems that, you know, security is safety and security is important. Right. Like, you know, I, I want you I want to feel safe that you're safe. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, you to be vulnerable. So in your mind, that might take place in a hospital. But maybe if you had the statistics and the information and you understood how everything works and granted, every pregnancy is different. But if there's a if a, if it's a healthy pregnancy, there's no pre-existing conditions. You know, you're basically in good shape, and you're taking care of yourself. You're eating well. You're sleeping. You're walking. You're doing the things you need to do. Then there, it's actually safer to give birth at home than in a hospital. So it's all of this information, and that's that's just that's what's lacking is the information being shared and having these conversations and answering these questions before we even get in the vulnerable space of we pregnant now, you know, the baby's going to be here in a few months. What's up with the swimming pool? Bur a water burst. So, you know, again, everyone has their, their thing. I didn't typically enjoy the water for myself, but a lot of times it, because of the, the pressure and the tension that takes place during, you know, labor and delivery, uh, as far as uh, contractions and things of that nature, you know, women find that it's more comfortable to be in the water, that that relieves some of it. And they have, you know, amazing birth stories and water birth. I always thought it was, who cuts the cord in these situations uh, at home? It depends um, on who wants to cut the cord. And the other thing is, do you want the cord cut? Because <laughs> it's a whole re-education as far as why we do the things that we do. And a lot of this has to do with the convenience of the medical industry. What we found is that inside of the umbilical cord, there are a lot. That's, that's where stem cells come from. So you hear about stem cell research and how they cloning people based off of stem cells. There's a lot of DNA and there's a lot of um, like dense nutrients that is in the umbilical cord. So in, if you look at indigenous cultures and what they do once the baby is born, they don't typically cut the umbilical cord. The umbilical cord will fall off on its own. It basically dries out and falls off after it. It's like a, it's like a vein or artery because it pulsates. 
and it's still pushing the nutrients because that's how the baby was eating and getting everything it needed during the time that it was in gestation. So from an indigenous standpoint, they're not cutting the umbilical cord. They're actually putting it in a bowl or a clay pot, covering it with flowers and herbs and allowing it to pulsate until it's done and it falls off. And our hold tradition. On, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Yo, you tell me. See, I always thought the umbilical cord was connected to the female inside. Well, it's it's connected to the placenta, and the placenta is connected to the woman. Yeah, so when you pull the baby out, if you don't cut the cord, no. Are you walking around yeah. with the cord? <laughs> when you if it was a vaginal birth, she would the baby would come out and then she would deliver the placenta. The placenta comes out whole. Yeah, it is yeah. like a sack. And, and I think I missed that part. Well, if it's a C-section, they're going to take it out. It's not right. going to come out It's because it's open, so they're going to take it out. Um, and then they'll they'll bring it off to the side. But usually hospitals don't even ask you what you want to do with your placenta. They automatically take it and it could end up wherever they like it to. Right. It's something or that is an asset for them. They make a lot of money off of people's placentas. So that's something for the audience to consider and think about where's your placenta. I have all three of mine. Right. So, I have them, huh? Oh, go yeah. ahead. You said you have them. Well, I have one left that my youngest son, we're going to, it's a certain ritual that we do with the placentas. But typically you would bury it and, and plant a tree over it. Oh, Right. So as he grows, the tree grows and you have a place to come back to. But again, that's more cultural than it is like, you know, something yeah. that everybody does. That's just what we do. So, <laughs> but again, what are they doing with that's my DNA? That's my that's part of my child. No, I didn't. I never heard. I of mean, it. how do you I mean, how do you transport it? I'm just like, I'm so again, I've never given birth in a hospital, but in my home, the midwife packages it up for me. And basically you put it in the freezer. Like some pack of chicken next next to the next to the uh next to the pieces and, and let me tell you it gets deep like people do <laughs> placenta encapsulation where they take the placenta and they dry it out and they mm. and they put it in capsules because again i've heard about that this so there's not next a to the pizza though you said not next to the pizza <laughs> now you're gonna say you sit in the freezer next to the pizza <laughs> yes it is it is you want to keep it in a safe place you you got to mark it though you don't want nobody but, throwing nothing and, and thinking it's something uh, else. But i, I do it. understand i do understand what you mean about them selling the placenta is worth a lot of money you know donating organs and all that stuff is worth a lot of money That's you know what i mean they kill people just for organs mm -hmm. you know what i mean so I, I do and I do understand that and I wish I'd have thought of organs. Let's be clear, because melanation plays a significant role in organs and its ability to be able to be used in other people's bodies. So black bodies so you can, are I'm sorry, a hot I'm, sorry I'm reading. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. You can you can eat the placenta? I'm you sorry. can. And and some people actually cook it and eat it. Like if you look into it, it's a whole thing. Like there's some vegans who don't consider that meat and they they got their own rituals and they own, you know, birth. I ain't gonna lie. Ain't gonna lie. After vegan. watching birth, it's very educational. After watching birth, I I I don't even want to imagine, you know what I mean? Even <laughs> thinking about frying up some placenta, you know what I mean? 
Look yeah. like some ribs. Look like some fried liver. What I was, yeah, they said yesterday. That's what they say. Liver or beef. Yeah. Yeah, some, you put it in the freezer. Somebody gonna mistake it for the liver. That's why you got to market. You got to definitely make sure you write up there. Do not touch. One of our viewers said bacon, eggs, toast, and home fries. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, bro. Also, <laughs> also um, on top of it, being an advocate for the doulas, was there any other um, cultural situation you looked into be before actually settling on the doulas? Well, so it, it the way that it came up for me, it was just like kind of a natural um, connection because from I I feel like this work is a calling. So if you're a midwife, if you're a doula, like this is tireless work. They're not, you know, paid an exorbitant amount of money. A lot of energy is needed and required to do this work. You really have to have a love for this experience and, and the people that you're working for are working with. So it's it's like a thankless, um, you know, job. And, and it really was more so to bring voice to the need and how they need to be better taken care of to, to advocate for, you know, the legislation to get passed to make sure that they can be covered under insurance, because it was also considered like a luxury to have that kind of support. And it's not a luxury. It's a necessity for mothers to be supported in that way during this process. So it was a natural um connection. I, I didn't necessarily want to go into the service providing aspect of it, but I knew that my experiences uh, just from my interactions were unique in a sense, especially like in the when I was giving birth back then. Now you can see people talking about water births and birth centers, even on reality TV shows. But, um, you know, like in the mid 2000s, like that wasn't the case. And it was really hard to come by. And even now, statistically, there are the number of mothers per the number of black doulas or black midwives is so out of balance. We need more. So just getting the understanding and the word out, being supportive in any way that I can, you know, fundraisers, things like that, you know, send a midwife um, DoorDash or a doula some door, just to whatever we can do to kind of make their add value and make their jobs easier. These are things that I just I really felt like I wanted to bring to the forefront. So it was a natural uh, connection to be involved with them. And I never really looked at any other ways in which um, I could utilize the platform for anything different because my passion was really around my births and wanting to ensure that women knew that they had options. Definitely, definitely. Now, I do have one more question and then they can ask that. Um, I heard, have you heard of something? I forgot what it's called. I've been trying to think of it since I've been sitting here, but people not, it's not the birth certificate that they buy. Like people are buying, uh, Jesus Christ, what's the name of this thing? Cause I heard someone else was talking about it where I've seen it on, on social media where she said, I bought my kids birth and it's not, it has nothing to do with the birth certificate. It's something different. It's, it's, it's crazy. But I'm looking at your face. You probably haven't heard of it, but it's, it's different. It's like, it's like the birth. It's deep on the, the birth. Hey, it's like, it's like somebody charging for something you ain't got to pay for for real. No, no. It's like you, it's like, the, 
it's some, it's, it's something like the government does to tell you that you can own you're supposed to be owning outside of the uh, yeah. Oh, yeah you know that's a whole nother we need, we need to bring in uh brother shaheen with that you know what i'm saying that's and like the, the sovereignty <laughs> and the private side of yeah, yeah. I'm, so just, I'm not sure about sovereignty but what i can say is that home birth is definitely like i'm gonna find that it's a, it's find a that article because I, I remember who said it and i'm gonna ask them about it and then i'm gonna let you oh, know yeah, about no, it. you're right <laughs> no it's just you know it's a whole nother that's a whole nother league then uh get a whole nother lane huh sovereignty and and you know something outside of the box or the status quo like the restoring birth to its natural process is one of the most revolutionary acts that you can participate in and and having a home birth there's certain things that you have control over like even the birth certificate situation um you know if you go into that on the show mm -hmm. When you have a home birth, there's certain re reporting requirements, but you definitely have more autonomy than what goes on in the hospital. Um, so that that's something to look into why we do the things we do and how can we do them differently and better. Yeah. I'll go ahead. Oh man, I'm just sitting back soaking up all this good knowledge. Yeah. Uh the real information. Too much I, more to, I, yeah. I, I need to ask. I know, yeah. I know what a doula is for real now. Hey. <laughs> yeah, but I would definitely encourage anybody that's listening to, to look into it, to um, you know, see who's doing what in your local area too, and be supportive of it because I think that's one of the things that we don't talk enough about. Like this truly is a movement and it requires energy and it requires action. So from a community standpoint, you know, allowing this to be a common conversation amongst men and women. Uh, so that we're having everything on board to make choices and decisions for ourselves and to support the people out there doing the work. And it really is the doulas and the midwives that are out here, you know, on the front line of things um, doing the work. And it, it's to all of our benefits. So if there are ways, you know, if there's scholarships, um, because again, this requires training. I know you mentioned someone who had just finished a doula program. Um, it requires training. It requires additional hours to get the experience necessary to be comfortable and confident in what it is that you're doing. So in whatever ways that we can support those who have the calling to do this work, um, it's going to benefit us as a whole. What's yeah. some of the other ways that you're uh, spreading your work? Um, primarily um, through the podcast. So Labors of Love podcast airs um, on social media. I do have a YouTube page that you can do playbacks and the live stream happens there as well. But it's Labors of Love podcast um, also on the website. Uh, so those are the primary places I have right now a weekly show where I speak with doulas, midwives and um, black birth workers, whether it's lactation um, consultants. I had a doctor who was a chiropractor and she talked about like the pelvic floor and some of the adjustments that women can get after having the baby um, to, you know, to have a, a healthier, not I don't like saying snap back because after you have children, it's never the same, but it, it's, it's evolution. So, uh, you know, definitely supporting us and in, in just being a spread that word. What's that? You definitely want to spread that word. Yes, yes. And it's important. Like we, we definitely want to we want to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. And it, and okay. I don't even think of it like it's definitely not a negative. It's an evolution. It's growth. Once you become a mother, like you really do. I know for myself, I felt like a superhero. Like you could give me my cape like we're, we're done. I've done something that's miraculous, which is bring forth life. 
So it, it definitely is something that's transformational. Um, and it's an undertaking for the family as a whole. So we, we talk to the birth workers. We talk to fathers now because that's a conversation that isn't often had, especially from a positive standpoint and perspective. I feel like everyone has a story and there's wisdom that can be found in all of those conversations. So um, like I was sharing earlier in the show, um, even having DJ Lalo on, every conversation that I'm having I'm learning something and it's just an opportunity to continue this dialogue, to educate, to inform um, and to connect because that's really what community is about. It's about having these conversations. It's about feeling connected. It's about, you know, being able to have a safe space to be vulnerable and talk about these kinds of things so that we can continue to move forward and forward in a, in a healthy way. So, um, that's where you can find me, and those are the platforms in this Labors of Love podcast. I believe uh, the Clubhouse app would be a good app for you and what you got to do. You know, you should yeah. download that. Uh, that'll be a good platform for you. Okay, now definitely, I've heard about it, but I haven't, you know, put the energy into what. Oh you yeah, mm. it's just a it's just a forum where you uh you know you lead the room and. All the doulas can come in, and you can bring up that's, different people to talk and give their give their uh, opinions. So yeah, mm -hmm. but you have to be a member in order to access the information. It's not something that like the general public could then listen back to. Um, as long as they follow you, they can see that you're on, and they can tap in. Okay. And then, and then if you know they have friends, and they can see that okay, well, my friends in this room. Let me go see what they're talking about, and you know, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I'm definitely, however I can reach the people, like that That really is the goal. It's just, I want to have this conversation. I want this conversation to be going on even outside of me. Like, I feel like there can't be enough clubhouse rooms or podcasts or shows have, with this subject matter. Like, this isn't redundant. It's not like, oh, you got a Black birth show. You got to, like, we need millions of conversations going on about this because this is how we change you know, what's currently going on. This is how we move the needle on the statistics. We have to take it back and, and, and do something for ourselves when it comes to that. And being informed and empowered will, uh, empowered will allow us to make those kind of choices for ourselves. Definitely, definitely. Well, we do appreciate you. The, the importance of this is also not only that you're giving out information to the people about people who have no idea what the subject matter even is, yeah. you're speaking to three men yeah. who didn't know anything about it. You know what I mean? Like I said, uh, Lou had a little knowledge on it, but you're speaking to men who probably to, to it. You know what I mean? As as far because we're not the ones giving birth. So I got a couple midwives. You got a midwife? <laughs> you said you're a midwife. I got a couple <laughs> midwives. That's all. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, hip, I'm a little hip. Oh, man. Either way. <laughs> But um, to be able to speak to a, a broader audience and to speak to, you know, like I said, just men entirely, whoever, whatever men are tuning into the show is a is a wonderful thing. You know, what I mean, so definitely blessings to you and with everything that you do, you know, that North Norfolk State alum is in the building. Yeah. You know, what I mean, <laughs> but um, let the people know where they can find you at and um, all your information. And yeah, no, definitely. And I, I greatly appreciate this opportunity, uh, you know, and like you said, just to be able to have this dialogue with two, with three, you know, men is significant. So 
I can be reached at laborsoflovepodcast.com. That's the website. The email address is laborsoflovepodcast at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook from a social media standpoint. And it's labors with an S at the end, labors of love podcast. Um, So on all those platforms, definitely look me up on YouTube. Please subscribe and turn on notifications. We are launching the Fatherhood series this evening at eight o'clock. Is I going to be the first show and it's going to be with my dad. Um, That's the only way that I felt like, you know, I could start it off right. Um, But I have a lineup of amazing men who took the time out to have a conversation with me um, to share so much wisdom and insight from the male perspective on this subject matter. And I think it's going to be valuable um, just to be able to hear and see, because the visual is also powerful. So to be standing here, you know, sitting here and to be surrounded by, you know, three very strong black men, you know, and having a civil conversation is, is a beautiful thing. And I think we need to have more of this. So that's definitely part of the motivation around the fatherhood series. Um, so I'm excited about that. So definitely please tune in YouTube, Facebook, Labors of Love podcast. Definitely, definitely. Um, from me, uh, appreciate you so much. You know what I mean? Um, I'm glad you took the time out to even be on our platform. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that as well. Um, anything you want to say before we let her look, let her loose? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, you know, just keep doing your thing. Appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, keep shining your light, baby. Appreciate it. Yep, yep. Thank you all for the opportunity. Yes, and definitely I'll be in contact with you so we can discuss different ways uh, that we can broadcast your uh, podcast as well. Um, appreciate you, girl. Thank you. Yeah, green and gold. Hey, 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 hey the boys, hey, boys in any sports? Yes, my um, oldest son, he's um, he'll be 15 in April, but he's 16. He's 6'3", 100, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. So uh, he's uh, playing football you know. and wrestling. Um, and then he's going to be in track. So definitely look out. That's I will good. be shouting him out on my on my page, my proud mama moments. Um, mm, but right. All of my children are phenomenal. They're musicians. Well, yeah, we, we have a management company, so, you know, I was just a bit, I, I figured 10 pounds at birth. He had to be doing something with it. Okay. So I, 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 you know. uh, we make them big over here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> definitely appreciate you. Um, Make sure you continue to tune in with us. Anything that you want to uh, leave with us, just make sure you contact us, and we'll definitely try to get that information out there for you. Once again, we had Hafiza Ture on the show, Labors of Love podcast. For all our viewers who want to tune into our show, again, that's Labors, Labors of Love podcast on all social media. Just put it like that. You know what I mean? Look it up. Google her. That's what we tell everybody. Google me, you'll find me. You know what I mean? So definitely, man. Um, we appreciate everyone who tuned into the show today. Spotlight Wednesdays happens each and every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Um, we not we don't really have any time to it, just like now, because once we get to talking, you never know how long we're gonna be. You know what I mean? So definitely appreciate you once more and um enjoy your evening and continue to do what you do. Appreciate y'all. Definitely, Keep definitely. Definitely, definitely. Spotlight Wednesdays, man. Make sure y'all tune in each and every Wednesday again, 4 p.m. We never know who we're going to have coming up on the show as far as it could be someone within the community with, with great information. It could be an artist and be an entrepreneur. It could be anything. So, you know I me. Mean? Make sure y'all tune into that. Um, I'm going to be signing out right now. My name is DJ Lalo, DJ L-A-Y-L-O 330. Google me. Find me on all social media platforms. 
Also find Speaker Leakers Worldwide. Google us. You'll find us on all social media platforms. L-E-X-L-U-35. T-R-E-K-U-L. Get to know me well. Google me. We out of here. Speaker Leakers underscore worldwide. That's Speaker Leakers 1 on Twitter. Let's get it. Definitely. We out of here, y'all. See us next week.